we've had a great time away in the South Island, but it's great to be home again. Great to be home again. Great to be home. A little while ago, I, I did a message for you and shared a message which was very impacting for a lot of people. And uh, the message concerned the end times. And uh, I spoke about uh, that faithful service, God rewards faithful service. And uh, so I want to, as, as I was sharing, I shared some things. I'm going to pick them back up again. I want to talk into today about the age to come. Now, anyone knows, if you're going to succeed in life, you want to have a long game plan. In other words, if you have no goals, no vision, no direction, nothing that gets you moving in a, in a certain direction, then you can't make reasonable decisions. You just decide here and there. Like if you don't have a financial goal, we're planning to do this, then money just goes here and there and all over and you never notice to go. Coffee here, lunch there, this it just disappears. Because you had no plan where you're going. Now, does that make sense to you? That, that if you want to get anywhere in life, you want to have a game plan. You want to have a long-term plan. Want to build a great marriage? It just doesn't happen. Everyone knows that. You've got to build, you have a plan for building your marriage and you work on building that relationship. You want your children to come out good? Okay, then. You need a plan for how you'll build family life and cultivate character. And so we need to, in our Christian walk, a lot of people, it's just live out of experience, live out of a Sunday meeting, and don't see a bigger picture or have a bigger plan that would set the course of their life. For us, years ago, God gave us revelation of a coming kingdom that when we saw it, it set the course of our life. So even if it never comes in my life, it has changed the direction totally of our lives and everything we do and the whole basis we make decisions. So if you, if you catch God's game plan, do you think God's got a game plan or is he sort of, oh my goodness, look what's going on down there. I better try and stop that over there. Oh, it's broken out over here. Now, it's not like that. God doesn't think that way. He has a plan that's a long game plan. He's working out. But if you don't know the game plan, you won't know the time or season in the game you're in and you won't know how to respond. I mean, how, how can you make good decisions about your life and its direction if you don't understand a biblical worldview? When we look what's going on around the world now, it's confusing. There's more happening now than I've seen ever happen in my life. The changes that are taking place and then people get into, they get into factions. If you notice now, there's division and factions. So the problems, not so much vaccine or not vaccine, the problem is divisions and factions. Once you, once you see that. And so you've got to, if we don't see the game plan, the big game plan from a Bible perspective, you will make bad decisions about where your life is going and you won't understand how to respond to God in the season we're in. Does that make sense to you? That's why you've got to have the long game plan. Many Christians don't have a long game plan or if they have, they've got the wrong one. You're gonna just do what I can and die and go to heaven. Hello, where's that, the game plan? Well, you try and find the verse in the Bible that tells you that. Okay, so I wanna speak on the age to come. <clears throat> now, 
so we started, we just talking, we're living in an amazing time, really. It's an it's outstanding time. It's an exciting time. Because in all the years I've walked as a Christian, I never could have foreseen the things the Bible says coming, starting to come so quickly upon us. I think it's exciting, absolutely exciting. There's global change taking place. And with that, of course, there's a lot of fear and anxiety. When people are afraid, they become very self-centered. And so troublesome times bring out what's inside you. They bring out your character. So in troublesome times, godly people turn to God and they're generous to others. In troublesome times, other people react in different ways. How do you react? How are you responding? So God is out working a plan, which is an eternal plan. In other words, before he made the earth, he made the plan. You know, when you, well, like this, this, this speaker here, before they made the speaker, they had a plan what it would do. They had a design for how it would operate. They had a plan for what it would do. If you don't know the plan, you'll just use it as a doorstop. <laughs> you know, or a sinker. Yeah, you've got to know what it's for. But know what it's for, you then attend to it, care for it, use it right, and, 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 and handle it properly. You, God's got a game plan. So we need to understand that game plan. And there's a time frame within which it works. In other words, God has got a time frame. Now, let me just show you a scripture in, uh, in Hebrews 2, verses 5 through to 8. Uh, five through to nine. It says, uh, so it says, now, for he has not put the world to come of which we speak in subjection to angels. So he's talking now about a world to come. If it's to come, it isn't here yet, okay? And then he says, and he, and he testified in a certain place. So he's, he's uh, quoting now Psalm eight. What is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you think of him? For you've made him a little lower than the angels. You've crowned him with glory and honor and set him over the works of your hands. You've put all things in subjection under his feet in that he put all things in subjection under him. And there's nothing out that he put not under him. But now we do not yet see all things put under him. So what's he talking about here? Well, he's first of all referring back to Psalm 8, which is very well known by the Hebrews. Psalm 8 is a psalm that describes the purpose God made man. He made man to have dominion over the works of his hands. Now, let me ask you this. Do you think that God will succeed in his plan? Do you think God sort of has a plan, Adam makes one dumb choice and wrecks it, and now it's a patch-up job and the plan failed? Does that sound like God to you? Maybe God anticipated it all and already foresaw what would happen, already made provision, and he's still got to work his plan out. You've got to see this. You see? And so he says, he said, uh, and then he's talking about Jesus, you have put all things in subjection under his feet. But he says, now we don't yet see it all. So that's the weird thing. We've seen Jesus is Lord, but if you, if you have a look, there's chaos in the world. So that's what he's saying. We don't see his lordship demonstrated tangibly yet. That must be yet to come. So if we're not seeing what Jesus is, the Bible says he's crowned with glory and honor. Jesus, by his death on the cross, has not, he not only created the earth and the world or creation, but also now he redeemed it by paying a price for it to get it all back. And so now he's risen from the dead. He's ascended on high. He's crowned with glory and honor. So, well, what now? Well, it says, well, we don't yet see the fullness of it yet. In other words, there's a whole realm of the fulfillment of this still to come. You don't see it yet. What we see is Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, we see him crowned with glory and honor, that he tasted death for every man. 
And then it goes on to talk in verse 10 about his plan to bring many sons, many into sharing his glory of ruling over all of his creation. Now, even the language of that, you either think, what the heck is all that? Or you think, oh yeah, it just becomes words. So I'm trying to open it up and I want to explain first of all the different ages. And then I want to talk about the age to come, what, what it's going to be like. See, if all you've seen is what you've seen, you don't know any better. The Bible gives a worldview. Worldview means a framework for looking at everything. A framework for looking at your marriage, a framework for looking at government and how government behaves and where this is all going. So if you're upset by what's happening now, many are upset, that's only a foretaste of where it's all going. The Bible actually tells how it's all, where it'll all go and history tells us how it happens. Look at the rise. How is it in Germany that over a period of about 10 to 15 years, one man could so take over whole control of a nation and then alienate a sector of people and then put them to death and the majority of people went along with it or at least weren't vocal against it? How could that happen? Well, the fact, well, the way to deal with that is you deny the Holocaust ever happened or you look and read into what did he do and how did he do it? And you'll start to see the game plan that the enemy has. Okay, then, what are you all thinking? So now, so it says now, that's now the present age and not yet is the coming age. So there's a now, we don't see Jesus in control. We see actually the church being given a hard time. If you read in the news or get uh, suitable forms of news, you'll find how much the church has been persecuted. Nigeria, all around the world, people have been slaughtered, put to death. There's more Christians being put to death now than there's ever been in history. So it's not going well for God's plan, it seems. But we don't know the plan, so you need to know the plan and then we'll see what happens. So, so there's a not yet. So Jesus' rule, his tangible rule over creation is not yet seen. It's something to come, and that's what we should live for. Okay? In the present age, he's preparing people for that because you're not gonna do it alone. How can you govern the world? You've got to have people who are sharing with you your vision, your values, and responding to build it the way you wanna build it. So that starts off now. Build your life according to God's design. Read the Sermon on the Mount and build your character around what's there. Daily little decisions form your character which will eventually shape your destiny. Get, get into the Word of God and see how God wants you to build and then build that way and life will go well for you. Okay then, so, <clears throat> so you notice here he's talking about an age. So <clears throat> what is the meaning of age? And the word age in the Bible is the word aeon, A-I-O-N, and it means a period of time when God is working a certain aspect of his plan out. It's a, it's a period of time. And the Bible refers to different ages. It refers to three distinct ages. The first one, it calls this present evil age. And we found that last time we looked was in Galatians 1.4. Uh, God who gave himself uh, self for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age. So the Bible describes the age we're living in as present. It's now. It's the now. It's what we live in now. Look, turn on the news, see the papers, and you'll find out what the now is and someone's interpretation of it. Uh, but it, so it's called now, it's a present age called an evil age. That word evil is the word uh, poneros, meaning full of hurtful influence, causing great grief and sorrow. 
So he said, the present age causes grief and sorrow and pressures and burdens on people. Why does it do that? Because it's under the dominion of a demonic infrastructure in the spirit world. It tells us very clearly in 1 John 5, 19, the whole world, cosmos, or the, the, the structures of society, is what it's referring to, are under the realm or the sway or the influence of demonic powers. That's why they do dumb stuff. That's why they make decisions which don't seem rational to people. They're under the influence of spirit powers. In, in Ephesians 2.2, we saw that every one of us, before we came to know Jesus Christ, were just following a course, a pathway to a destiny of suffering. And we were, it says we were under the influence of a spirit that worked in us because we disobey God. So people think they're independent, they're not. They're under the influence of spiritual forces which manipulate mind and emotions and they do dumb stuff. And no one ever wants to blow up their marriage or hurt or abuse their kids. Why do they do it? Something is there that's irrational. It's called sin, it's called the devil. Jesus came to deal with both of those things. So there's this present evil age and the present evil age, all the cultures are influenced to varying degrees by hidden demonic powers. So when the gospel comes into a culture and affects a culture, then the spiritual powers are dislodged, the nature and character of people change and the whole society changes. So the great revivals in the 1800s triggered off change all through the Western world. We're in the process now of abandoning the very source, which was God, that produced a change in culture. You'd gone into England and Wales, you'd have found the streets were full of, of alcoholics and, and people, broken lives, broken marriages. Now it's the similar things with drugs. Broken lives, broken marriages, abuse. It was rampant there, but revival shifted that and changed the character, raised up people that fought against injustice and changed the legal system. Now we're in the journey of abandoning all of those roots. And of course, there are consequences to that. Okay, again, that's why this age is called a present evil age, okay? So, so there's, Jesus also spoke of an age to come. So the present evil age, then the age to come. And here it is in uh, Matthew 12, 32. Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven him. Whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him in this age or the age to come. There it is, an age to come and this age. The present evil age, that's why he got put to death. People came, they, it's an evil age under the influence of demonic spirits. Paul spoke of it in Ephesians 1, 21. He exalted uh, Christ far above, rose him from the dead, seated him in the right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality and power, might and dominion, every name that's named, not only in this age, but the age that's to come. So we're in this age, there's another age to come, and then that is followed by another age. And the Bible gives insight to these things. Okay, here it is. And so we realize then that this present age will come to an end and it'll be replaced by the age to come. Let me just read for you a passage in Revelations 20. And uh, here it is, Revelation 20 verse five. The rest of the dead did not live again until a thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection 
Over such the second death is no power. They shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Now this term, a thousand years, is mentioned about seven times in that chapter. One thousand years. So the Bible makes it clear the age to come is a period of a thousand years. It's 1,000 years, literal 1,000 years. And we're gonna look at what'll be the characteristics of that. It's also called the millennium. So that word millennium doesn't appear, but the word millennium just means 1,000 years. So the age to come is 1,000 years. It's also known in different ways. It's known in, uh, also as uh, the age of restoration, the time of restoration. So we read, if we read there uh, in, uh, in the book of Acts, it tells us 321, uh, Jesus will remain in heaven until, what? The times of restoration of all things, which was spoken by the prophets from Samuel until now. So the Bible talk, that word restoration means a reordering, a reforming, a recreating of things to be in the way God intended them. So when will Jesus return? He will return and when he comes, when he comes, he'll come to restore the creation. That means it must need restoring. It's not what it intended to be, it's suffering. There's evil in the world. God wants to do something about it. His plan is not to fail. His plan is to do exactly what he set out to do. Okay, so that's the age to come, a thousand year period. And notice there, it talks about the first resurrection. So I don't know how many of you be aware, there are two resurrections. I can't go into teaching about the two resurrections. I'll touch on this one here. There's one called the first resurrection. And certainly the first resurrection means that people are raised from the dead. It doesn't mean they just come back to life. Their body is transformed like Jesus' body. And then there's the second resurrection. So only a certain people come up in the first resurrection and then the rest of the dead come up in the general resurrection. So there's a first resurrection there's a general resurrection. There's two resurrections separated by a thousand years. And the first resurrection is the gateway into being part of the kingdom. We'll share a little bit more about it as we go. So, so we see there the first resurrection will take place at the return of Christ for those who are prepared. If you're not prepared, it's not for you. You'll have to wait a thousand years, then get resurrected with everyone else. And you'll miss out on the purpose that God had in mind for your life. That's why when we understand God's plan, it puts in you the fear of God and the desire to live a life close to Him. You know, so the first resurrection opens up, it ends this age, and then the, the next age, the age to come, and then that age ends with the general resurrection, and there's what's come, the ages to come, that is the eternal age. It'll be different in each of these periods. So the period we're in now, the present age, has, it's, it's got certain characteristics. The, the next age or the age to come is quite different, but it's still not complete. And then after that, the eternal age, there'll be no sin, no death, no sorrow, no suffering, no, none of those things. But there is an, there's an interim period, an intermediate kingdom, which God has been planning to introduce all through history. Everything in history has given indicators and leads up to this happening. And when this has happened, then the end comes. And then God the Father 
take over the kingdom. We'll show you that in just a moment. So we're seeing now that the age, the present age will be replaced by the age to come. The age to come will be replaced by the eternal age. And what separates them are resurrections. The first resurrection, the second resurrection. And I'm not gonna go into it, but prior to that is massive upheaval in the earth. And also prior to the second one is massive upheaval in the earth as well. So each of the age is very, very different. So we've got used to living in this present age. You just get a mindset, that's how it is. Yeah, get over it. But actually as believers, we're called to set our mind on the things of God's kingdom, the things that are to come, the things that are not yet. So you can either do your own thing now and forget about what's, not, what's coming, or you can live now for what's coming and it changes every decision you make. Sets the whole course of your life. So that raised the question, well then, what will the conditions be that are in the coming kingdom? What will the conditions be like? Now, that's a, a study that's quite, got, the Bible has got so much on it. How many know that the Bible is full of prophecies? All right, so when Jesus came and uh, he lived his life and died, there were multitudes of prophecies that were fulfilled around his birth, around his life, and around his death. So in other words, spread through the Bible, through different people, God spoke out and gave little windows into what would happen in the future. And it all happened exactly as the Bible said. That's a good track record. I mean, how to, the, the fact that he, he, he would come, he would be rejected, he would die, he would be buried in the tomb of a rich man, you know, that he, would die, that he would be raised after three days. You can't make all that stuff happen yourself. That's a plan with someone's got more powers making the thing happen. Now, now if you looked into the Bible, it'd do you good to study, just go, even just Google it. They're bound to have it. How many prophecies were fulfilled in Jesus' first coming? So if you find the number, there's a whole heap of them. Now, if, if you've got a book in front of you that actually outlines for you a whole lot of prophetic things, hundreds of years, and all of them are worked out, you'd say, that's pretty good. Someone is in charge making stuff happen here. But what if there were a whole lot of things that have never yet been seen, never yet been fulfilled, and they're about his second coming, you really would wanna have a look what's coming. You'd want to become a student of the Bible and discover what's coming and how to position yourself to be cooperating with God to be part of it. History is His story. So there's your story, that's your choice, your life, where you're going, what you're doing. There's God's story and He wants you to let Him into your life so your story and His become one. called being born again, giving your life to Jesus instead of living under the course of this world. When you give to life to Jesus, he takes you out of the dominion of the kingdom and puts you in another kingdom in preparation. Get the idea? Okay, so what are the conditions? Now, I won't go into too much explaining of them. I'll read the scripture because I just want you to see what the Bible says. When you see what the Bible says, I know what happens. You look at it and you either weep with joy at what's coming or you think, how could that be? which reveals the unbelief in God's word. Because if all the prophecies about his first coming were fulfilled, you can absolutely rely on the others also being filled to the detail. Jesus said, not one word shall pass away till it's all fulfilled. Amen. See, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word shall not pass away. 
Okay, okay, so have a look. So I'm gonna go through and I'm gonna give you about eight headings or so, and I'll just give you the scriptures related to it, make maybe one or two comments. So here's the first thing. Jesus will return and will assert his right to reign. He will assert it. Right now, he's not asserting it. It's all voluntary. In other words, you choose whether you receive Christ or reject him. Okay, for you. You've decided the course of your life. He extends an invitation to receive his love, his forgiveness, to come into relationship, to walk with him, to come under his leadership in your life, and to build a life that honors him to become a son in preparation for a coming kingdom. Or you can just reject it. But when he returns the second time, those options aren't there. See, right now, he's like an absent landlord, but when the landlord returns, you're gonna sort stuff out. And so Jesus will return and assert his right to reign. Now, do you think everyone's going to love that? Absolutely not. This will, this will be the greatest crisis in earth's history because as you already know how many people are so anti-Christ, anti-the Bible, anti-Christians, anti-church, anti-life, anti-marriage, anti-all sorts of things. They aren't going to take this kindly. And that's why when he comes, for some it's a great day, and for others it's a terrible day. The Bible calls that the great and the terrible day of the Lord. I want that to be a great day for me. Yay! Oh, he's come! Awesome! For others, it'd be, what have I done? They'll be filled with terror. And so let me just go through. So here it is in Revelations 11, 17. Let's put it up there. And this is what they said in heaven. We give thanks to you, O Lord God Almighty, the one who is and was and is to come. That's Jesus. Because you have taken your great power and reigned. So that hasn't happened yet. But there comes a time when he stands up and he said, I have the right to reign and now I will reign. See, and he says, and so, and the nations were angry. Why were they angry? Because they wanted to reign. Everyone wants to reign. People want their own thing. They want to do their own thing. And so when he stands up and makes his appearance, the nations will be angry because they can't run life like they used to. It says like when he first came, it was the same deal. When Herod the king heard of Jesus, the king, he was angry. He was upset. He tried to kill him because they're totally opposed to him. Okay, so said, and the nations were angry. Your wrath has come, the time of the dead that they should be judged, and you should reward your servants, the prophets and saints, those who fear your name, small and great, and should destroy those who destroy the earth. So you notice the greatness and then the terribleness. So for those who have walked with God and served God, this is a great day. This is a day of reward, of honor and blessing. This is a great day. But for those who wreck the world with their reckless policies and ambitions, they will be judged and suffer. Don't, don't, you've got to know the goodness of God and the severity of God. Everyone today wants to be nice, good, and soft and weak. No, no, no. He's good and he's also just. And if someone's been wrecking some and they've had warnings, then you've got to do something or you're not just. Anyway, so there it is. Now, here's another scripture in Psalm 102, verse 15. So the nations, the nations shall fear the name of the Lord and all the kings your glory. So basically, Leaders all over the world will be faced with the choice to either recognize and honor Jesus as the rightful king or he'll put them out of their misery. 
It's really what it is. But it says the nations will rejoice. There'll be a new leadership. And it says all the kings of the earth shall delight in your glory. How about that? Uh, here it is in, uh, in Psalm 102:16. For the Lord shall build up Zion. He shall appear in his glory. All kings shall fall down before him. All nations shall serve him. That's what's ahead. That's what's so exciting. There it is, little verse, written in the Bible. All kings will bow down. Doesn't matter how smart they look on TV today, all will bow down to Jesus Christ. All nations will serve him. And there's consequences if they don't. And it says, here's another one, Psalm 72, 11. All the kings shall fall down before him, all nations serve him, and he shall deliver the needy when he cries, the poor also, and him who has no helper. Zechariah 14, 9. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. Now, now, there's just three scriptures. There are other scriptures. Did you notice in all of those ones, he will be king over all of the earth. He will be an emperor who rules over the kings of the earth. That's why he's called king of kings, lord of lords. He is the king over all. Now, we don't yet see that, but it will come. And it says, when it comes, the nations will be angry. Why? Because they want to stay in control. And so there'll be a conflict. You've got to understand that. That's why things in the end times will lead towards conflict. Okay, so there. Here's the second thing that will happen in the midst. So the first thing is Jesus will show up. And when he shows up, he's determined to come and to reign. You see this thing here that we these scriptures here are shown also in, uh, in, in, in the book of Luke in chapter 19 about the parable of the pounds and those servants, when he came, he went to a far country, received his uh, right to rule, came back, and then the servants were rewarded and those who rejected his reign, he put them out. Justice. Okay then, so here's the second thing, a very important thing is Satan won't be a problem for us anymore or not for the thousand years. Better correct that. In Revelation 20 verse two, this is the angel. He said, I saw an angel and he laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is devil and the Satan, bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into a bottomless pit, shut him up, set a seal on him. Now that's pretty tight locked up, isn't it? And he should no longer deceive the nations. What's he doing now? Deceiving the nations. When people are deceived, they think what's right is wrong and what's wrong is right. That's what deception does. And it says he, will, he, he should be set a seal on him, no longer deceive the nations anymore till the thousand years were finished. And after that, he's released for a while. So there it is. Notice here that Satan <clears throat> at this period of time will be bound for a thousand years. Now, <clears throat> he is bound, no more activity on the earth, no more deceiving the nations. The spiritual atmosphere will shift. How, how many of you have experienced oppression or heaviness or that kind of thing? Often it's a spiritual pressure. It won't be there anymore. Now, if that pressure in the atmosphere is no longer there, the atmosphere will shift. There will be atmospheric shift. And this is something that the world has not seen since the fall of Adam. This is totally new. No more demonic power structure controlling the thinking. People's head get clear. They can start to see clearly. It says in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, the God of this world has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. So if a person doesn't believe in Christ, don't get hard or angry at them. It's because the God of this world has blinded their mind. They can't see it. 
But when he's taken out of the way, people see it. So there's a great revival will happen. First time in history since Adam's fall, no more oppression of people. How about that? Here's the next thing will happen. So Jesus comes, the devil's bound. What happens to believers? Well, here it is. There's a good part here. And uh, it says, overcoming believers will be rewarded and honored. Matthew 16, 27, for the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father and angels, and he will reward each one according to his work. So when he comes in glory, he's coming to reward those who have honored him and lived a life faithful to him. That's why this whole casual turn up, if I like it, I feel like it. What nonsense is that? You have clearly no understanding of what you're losing out on. If you, if you understood what the, what, the, what the reward is, you'd never live your life like that. You would never. And he said, look at this. He says in Revelations 24, I saw thrones and they sat on them and judgment was committed to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness for Christ and for the word of God. Well, that's going on right now. They're not worshiped the beast or his image nor received his mark on their foreheads and hand. They lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead, so notice this is selective. Some are raised, some are not. The ones who are raised it's because of the way they conducted their life in walking with God. The rest are not raised. So in the present age, it's very clear that Christians around the world suffer difficulties and hardships and troubles. What is an overcomer? An overcomer is a believer, someone who believes in Christ, but is committed to remain faithful to Christ and overcomes the obstacles and challenges that they experience in life. They learn to serve God and stay faithful to him. They let Jesus change their character to become more like him. They're concerned about their character. You think about what you struggle with. You struggle with anger. You struggle with fear. Struggle with all these things. Struggle with uh, selfishness. Uh, see, an overcomer works to overcome those character traits. They work with God to grow, to become like him, because that's the plan. See? And so believers who remain faithful to Christ will be raised in the first resurrection and they will share with him the restoration of the earth. So you're called to be part of this ultimate plan that's been thousands of years being worked out and share with him reordering the earth. And what part would you have in it? It'll depend on your faithfulness now, but almost certainly it'll depend on where your passions lie. So if your passions lie in a certain area, probably that's the area God will put you in to bring a reordering of it. You say, what if people don't agree with me? They won't have any choice. So notice here, the resurrection takes place in two phases. This is the first resurrection, then there's a thousand years. Now, I can't go into what these people will do in the thousand years. That was a whole study of its own. I want to just talk about the conditions. I want to keep seeing, keeping a vision of what it'll be like. But, but if I could show you how the game plan works out, at the end of the thousand years, no devil, Jesus has returned, all kinds of things, which we'll talk about in a moment in place. At the end, Jesus lets the devil out again. You think, what? What? Here it is, Revelation 20, verse seven. Now, when the thousand years were expired, Satan will be released from his prison. And what will he do? Go out and do what he always does, deceive the nations, which are in the four corners of the earth, and gather them together battle with numbers like the sand of the sea. And they went up the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city. In other words, there'll be, after all of a thousand years of unprecedented time, the devil is released and people are given a choice whether they cooperate with God and stay loyal to him or whether they yield to that. 
and sadly, thousands yield to that. It's hard to understand, but that shows you the human heart, even when experiencing God's goodness, still can refuse him. It's free will. And so you see there, it, it said, uh, um, fire comes down from God and devoured them. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire where the priests and false prophet are. They'll be tormented day and night forever and ever. So, so it's very clear that at the end of the thousand years, there's another season of short, brief conflict where the devil's released and nations have a decision. Will we seek our independence and come against Jesus or will we stay loyal to him? That's what the decision is. And those who get deceived gather together and there's a massive battle and an army uh, in the plains of Armageddon. They come, up there, uh, uh, they come up against Jerusalem and God brings fire from heaven as he's done in the past. And then the end of the story, Jesus hands over the kingdom to the Father and the Father's kingdom and Jesus' kingdom is established in this earth. So it's the end of the plan, that part of it. Then the next part starts. Okay, here's the next thing that'll happen. So you get the idea how it's, this, this hasn't happened yet. This is all going to happen. As sure as you're sitting here, it'll happen. Okay, here's the next thing. The glory of the Lord will fill the earth. The glory of the Lord. Numbers 14, 21. Truly as I live, the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. What is the glory of the Lord? Well, the glory of the Lord is his manifest tangible presence and power. When the glory of the Lord is here, everything changes. Things don't get old. Things thrive and live. Because God's nature and presence is manifest, his supernatural power is there. Think about the Israelis, they, the Hebrews. They went through 40 years in the wilderness. Their clothes didn't get old and their shoes didn't wear out. How'd that happen? That's being in the glory. They had a provision every day. They were in the glory. The glory of God was there. The Bible says in Habakkuk chapter two, the whole earth shall be filled with knowledge of the glory. So this is not even something secret. This is something that'll be seen and felt. You won't be able to go anywhere where there's not a knowledge of God's presence and power. There will be great and unprecedented demonstrations of miracles. The, lion, the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk, the dumb speak creative miracles, restorative miracles, everywhere. <clears throat> Jesus is not gonna do it all himself, he'd be working through people. Here's the next thing, number five. The government of Jesus shall expand and grow over the thousand years. So he doesn't, doesn't just come and snap his fingers and then it's all changed. It's not done like that. He snaps his fingers and people change and are resurrected in the instant, suddenly in the twinkling of an eye like that. However, the plan takes time to work out. Why? Because God always had a plan, man would rule the earth, man failed, God sent his son, his son remained faithful, so his son and overcomers will fulfill the plan. That's how it's gonna work out. So here notice in Isaiah 9, 7, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Increase of his government. In other words, his governance, his realm of governance, it'll never end. So it starts off in the, in the millennial age, it'll be over all the earth, then beyond that, it'll go even further, which the Bible doesn't tell us about, but it'll never end. So if increase is never stopping, something is continuing to grow. What's growing is his governance, his influence, where he's extending his creative power and glory. And notice here, he said to, uh, 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 upon the throne of David and his kingdom, which refers to Israel, to order it, establish it with judgment and justice. From that time forward, the zeal of the whole Lord of hosts will perform it. So it's a time of global peace and safety and justice. Finally, justice. Corruption will be rooted out. 
In the book of Daniel, chapter 235, he says, the stone that struck the image become a great mountain that filled the whole earth. In other words, he's saying, it looked like the devil was winning. There's this big image, it's signifying hidden spiritual powers governing every aspect of life. And suddenly, out of nowhere, comes a stone, not made with hands, and it hits the thing and hammers it and it all falls down and the stone grew and filled the whole earth. And that stone is the kingdom of God. A people that serve Christ will fill the earth and lead and govern the earth. So Jesus will expand his rule through people and it'll affect every area of society. You think about that. Every area of society will need to be changed because it doesn't understand God's way, it just does its own way. So you think about what that, political will change, the agriculture will change, economics will all change, the legal system will change, education system will change, media will change, arts will change, technology will change. It is gonna be the most fantastic thousand years. Everything will be in unprecedented change for the better. Man, oh man, that's outstanding. So the kingdom will grow and expand till every part of the earth is dwelling under the kingdom. He will be ruling over the whole earth. See, when, you when a king comes into an enemy territory, you've actually gotta conquer it. So Jesus got the legal right to conquer. He just hasn't stepped in to do it yet. He says, I want you to learn how to step up and conquer because there'll come a day, you'll be part of my great plan to change the earth. So it doesn't matter if you only got a little piece now, God's got a bigger piece in mind for you later. You just gotta do what he wants you to do with your life right now. We're not all called to preach, to be ministers or pastors or anything. We're all called to serve God, be disciples of Christ, grow and become like him. Okay, getting the idea? So, where will this happen? Well, Jesus will govern the worldwide kingdom from Jerusalem. In Isaiah 2, verse 1, here's the word Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. It will come to pass in the latter days, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains, shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations will flow into it. And many people shall say in that day, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of God of Jacob. He will teach us of his way. We will walk in his paths. For out of, the, out of Zion shall go the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge the nations and rebuke many people. So what it's saying then is from Jerusalem, Jerusalem will be his headquarters. It's no wonder there's such a fight over Jerusalem. You better get your head clear about whose side you're on. Come on. Really? You gotta really, because what is the conflict? Why would one city be in the news all the time and a place of war after war after war after war? Why? Because it is the place Jesus will rule from. So there's a contesting for the seat of power. That's what's going on there. There's always been a contesting of that. Battles fought backwards and forwards, but that's where he will rule from. He will establish his throne there. He will rule, heaven and earth will be joined. He will rule and judge the nations from there. The law of God will go out through the world. In other words, nations won't be able to do their own thing. There'll be consequences for that. We'll get to that in just a moment. It's quite interesting. I didn't even know all these things were there until I searched them. And he says, and he shall judge between the nations, rebuke many people, and said, they shall beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. The nations will come up and honor Jesus in Jerusalem. So that, that's an unprecedented thing. 
Right now they're fighting over whether, you know, who's in charge of it, who owns the land and whatever, and all this contention going on. And you'll see all these people with their opinions and their views and whatever. Just be careful what view you take, that you actually align with a biblical worldview. God has promised that city and that land to the descendants of David. They're promised by covenant to Abraham and covenant to Isaac and Jacob and covenant to David. So God will never break his covenant. He will establish his rule from Jerusalem. Think of all the trouble America, Donald Trump had trying to get even an embassy in Jerusalem. Imagine the conflict over setting up your throne and ruling the world from there. Israel has always been an amazing nation. You know, there's more Nobel Prize winners come out of there in creative ideas than any other nation in the world. There's no other nation in the world which has been scattered to the four corners of the earth and then regathered and reassembled. It's because God said he would do it. That's promised in the Bible as well. <laughs> How about that? And now, so all nations will honor Jesus. And look at this, Zechariah 14, 14, 16. It'll come to pass, everyone who's left of all the nations which come against Jerusalem shall go up year by year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and keep the Feast of Tabernacles. There it is. That has, has that happened yet? No. It's happening a little bit because a lot of believers who understand the feasts are going up to Jerusalem each year or going up when they can to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. He says all nations will do it. And then he says, if they won't do it, if they won't honor God by this, then they'll suffer famine and they'll suffer plague. It's a good incentive to come. That tells us then there will be famine and there will be plague, but it'll only be on those who are disobedient and rebellious and refuse Jesus' reign. Okay then, so <laughs> how about that? Now, here's the thing. You look at it and you think, oh my, it's, it's just too hard. Now listen. This has already happened in a little measure, historically. In other words, what, what it's saying here will be global, but there was a time in history when it already happened. So if it's already happened once and God said it's gonna happen in the end, it's gonna happen, because he makes it happen. He, he never lets his words fall to the ground. Here, let me read it for you just quickly. And here it is. Here. It says here in 2 Chronicles 9, uh, verse 22, so Solomon, who's the representative of Jesus, the son of David, it says, he surpassed all the kings of the earth in riches and wisdom. He's the king of the kings. Eh? And it said, and all the kings of the earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear the wisdom God had put on his heart. And every man bought a gift and a present, articles of silver, gold, garments, armor, spiders, so on and so forth. Now, now, that has already happened historically. That means God is well able to elevate Jerusalem, elevate Jesus, elevate the whole status so all the kings of the earth come there because there's wisdom and whatever, and, and they honor him. It's gonna happen, it's already happened. If it's already happened once, it can happen again. Israel, here's the next thing, Israel will be restored to its land. Israel be restored to its land. Jeremiah 16, 14 and 15. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when no more shall be said, the Lord lives who brought your children of Israel up from the land of Egypt. But the Lord lives who brought the children of Israel from the land of the north and all the lands where he had driven them, I will bring them back into their land which I gave to their fathers. Ezekiel 36, 24. I will take you from among the nations, gather you out of all the countries and bring you into your own land. Now, how about that? So God's saying very simply, he said, always through Israel. You know, they all keep the Feast of Passover. Remember we kept the Feast of Passover? What was that all about? 
That's God delivering Israel out of Egypt. And they still celebrate it till today. It's fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He's saying you won't be talking about that anymore because what you'll be talking about is something bigger than that. How God took a nation, not in one place under, under one group, but took them out of every nation of the earth where they've been scattered and brought them back to their own homeland and gave them their homeland again. And it's not the bit they've got now. It includes all the way up to Iraq. It includes all that area. So someone is gonna be unhappy. But the lamb was given to Abraham and his descendants. It will be fulfilled. Amazing. And he'll get, that's the bigger miracle. The bigger miracle, the miracle bigger than God delivering people out of Egypt and bringing them into the promised land was that he gathers them from the scattering all over the world and brings them, puts them back in the land. That is a miracle. That's the bigger miracle. Isn't that amazing? Here's the next thing. I'll nearly get to the end. The, the natural processes of life will continue. The nat in other words, life will go on. Life will go on. Now, there'll be a massive upheaval, of course, but, and then the as the transition of government takes place, everything will be different. It'll all be in constant change. And so, but here's the thing that the Bible says, that the curse on the earth will be lifted. Did you, haven't you know what? There's a curse on the earth. How hard it is to get the earth to produce. But when the curse is lifted, it'll produce. In Romans 8, 21, the creation will be delivered from the bondage of corruption. It's groaning and laboring even till now, waiting for this to happen. So even creation is anticipating this happen. That's why towards the end, there's massive signs, upheavals. It'll be a time of great joy. People will be happy. There won't be turmoil and sorrow and oppression and slavery and addictions and things. People will be happy because God is healing them, delivering them, setting them free, bringing re restoration to their lives, their marriages, their family, their relationships. Uh, people will marry. So in that age, people will marry, except those who are resurrected. They'll marry, they'll have children, they'll grow old and they'll die. That's what'll happen in that millennial reign. In Isaiah 65, verse 20, no more shall an infant be there from there live but a few days, nor an old man who's not fulfilled his days, for the child shall die 100 years old, but the sinner being 100 years old shall be accursed. So notice here he's saying no infants shall die. People will live much longer. There's no premature death, no miscarriages, no premature deaths, no abortions. Someone dies 100, they'll say, what the heck was wrong with him? He died too early, before his time. See, in the present age, if you live past 70, you're doing well. In that age, if you die at 100, what the heck, is something's going on in his life, must be sin there somewhere. But it's just that atmosphere of glory causes everything to thrive beyond what it's done before. So can you get any idea? There'll be restored harmony in the animal kingdom, Isaiah 11, verse six through to eight. The animals will get on with one another. The animals will get on with humans. Their diet will change. Now you think, well, how can that be? Come on, it's already been done once in history. How did, how did Mo and Noah get the animals in the ark? God must have for a season restrained their nature so he could fulfill the work of saving people. Hey, come on. I can't go into all what we'll be doing in there, but the main thing is to decide whether you're in it or not. So, so how many, you understand then the importance of an end time vision, an end time vision. See, Jesus said, you must prepare and become ready for this. 
You must prepare and become ready for this. In Luke 21, 15, he said, there will be signs in the sun, moon, stars, and the earth, distress in the nations and perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them from fear and expectation of things coming on the earth. Even the powers of heavens will be shaken. He's saying it's going to get such turmoil that people will be perplexed. What that means if people are perplexed, they're confused, they don't know how to make sense of what's going on. So the, the end of this age and the introduction of the next age has got a sequence of events as well. I can't go into that today, but if I just point it out, it's turmoil. Uh, Jesus likened it in Matthew 24. He said, it's like a woman giving birth. He said, there'll be pains, upheavals in nature and society and the world, and they'll be little and they'll be a long way apart. Then they'll start to get closer and closer and closer together until they come intensely, and that's when this all happens. People will be filled with fear. When people are afraid, they're very selfish. I'm seeing glimpses of that now with what's happening with the COVID thing. It just is what it is. What is important is what's happening in you. If you're vaxxed or not vaxxed, that's your decision. But the big thing is, what, do you, what attitude are you showing to others in the middle of that? That shows who you really are. Uh, if you're a vaxxed person, you've got a bad attitude, you're a vaxxed person with a bad attitude. Jesus, not worrying whether you're vaxxed or not, worrying about your attitude. If you're unvaxxed and you've got a bad attitude, you're not worried about whether you're unvaxxed or not. You're concerned about your attitude. In the midst of the turmoil, what are you becoming? What are you displaying? The nature of Christ or you suddenly caught up in another spirit and turning on people, excluding people. This is what they did to lepers in Jesus' day. Lepers were branded and isolated and separated and then stoned if they come near anyone. But Jesus touched them. So the church has got a bit of a problem here because we wanna really separate people and stone them and we don't want to touch them. Why would we not want to touch them? Oh, it's always the same thing. They might infect us. <laughs> Come on, you've got to see here. It's, it's about what's inside you and the living by faith, living of the confidence in God, making decisions according to the leading of the Holy Spirit and letting his character develop. So, so it's a turmoil. It's a turmoil. Now, you can't help but notice this, that when there's a turmoil, governments have to do something. Now, I'm not saying whether they're right or wrong. I'm not even going into that. The Bible says you approach government like this. They're agents that God has placed in there, and you honor them and respect them and pray for them. And what they do is probably above your pay grade. You do what you're called to do and mind your business. So, so, so body does say this is what happens that when, when there's a crisis, government has to act and usually they take up freedom. People get so wound up inside with fear and anxiety. They want someone to do something to protect them. I just, just let it go back to normal. This, it's not going back to normal because we're part of an end time wave of events. One thing will be replaced by another, by another, by another. And so what it does to people, if they're not anchored in God, they become fearful and want someone somewhere to make it safe for me. And so government says, yep, I'll do that. <clears throat> so you'll have to give up your liberty and I'll make it safe for you. Trust me, we're the source of truth. No, the Bible's the source of truth. Amen. It's the one source of truth. 
You understand that? And, and so what happens is, is progressively people give up their freedom in exchange for feeling safe. And they don't realize what's happening to them. So that's what happened in Germany. It's what happened in, in communist China. It's what happened in communist Russia. This is what happens. Our current prime minister has signed up to that agenda. That's right. I don't know whether you realize that. The United Nations has an agenda to transform the world. But it's not the United Nations, it's the, the prince of this world is engineering it all. That's right. He's behind it all. So you've got to watch that you don't get caught up in all the drama and find yourself living a life that is disqualifying you for a coming kingdom. You want to live a life of faith? You want to live a life where you're submitting to God, working in your life to make you Christ-like. And you want to live a life where you serve God and His cause, which is always people. Think about it. And that can only come out of prayer, out of having a relationship with Him. And so in the book of, uh, in the book of Matthew 25, He tells the story of 10 virgins, five wise, five foolish. All of them were virgins. All of them were in anticipation of the coming of the groom. One five group of five prepared. The other group of five didn't prepare. They were all called, but five prepared and five didn't. They all had a lamp, which is your heart, your character, your inner man. That's what people see. That's what people read. They all had a measure of oil, which is the Holy Spirit, which ignites our life, empowers our life. They all knew He was coming. They were all waiting. But here's what it tells us. It said they, they fell asleep. What causes people to fall asleep? When a person's asleep, they don't know what's going on around them. They're unaware. The Bible says in 2 Peter 1, it says, make sure you work on the development of your character, otherwise you will become blind or fallen asleep. You won't be aware of what's going on. It's important we engage God deeply and personally. It's not only our King, but the coming King of all kings, and that we walk with Him. He said the midnight cry came. In other words, a prophetic voice came. He is coming. The groom is coming. Now, all over the world right now, those in the prophetic movement are yelling out, He is coming soon. He is coming soon. He is coming soon. The church has to wake up. It's not going on like it has been. It's all in massive global change. It's not going back. It's entering a new season in history when the greatest events will happen. Don't live in fear. Don't live a life that's self-centered. Live a life in the presence of God. Live a life engaging with Him. Those, when they woke up, they all woke up. And that's what God's doing, He's waking the church up. Waking the, the moment the church still asleep, doesn't know who it is or what power it has, it's just asleep. Like Cinderella, just needs the kiss of life. Isn't that really? Been eating the poison apple too long. Media. Come on, just does it to you. There's a narrative, not, a, not news. Anyway, here's what he says. Those who are ready went in. Those who are not ready were left out. What does that mean? I can't imagine the grief of knowing you were called 
into a resurrection and partnership with Christ to change the world and you disqualified yourself from it. And you know, while you watch others, they were sitting in the seat next to you and now they're in a glorious body. It's got no limits on it, can go anywhere, can turn up, can vanish. No sickness, no disease, no death, no nothing. That's what all these super, these superhero movies are giving us a preview of. It's all, it's all leading up to it. If you can see the signs, the appearance of superheroes. It's in the movies. All this has been going on for 10 years. People with extraordinary powers and abilities. Oh, I know what's coming though. People with extraordinary power and ability to stand with Christ and reestablish the rule of man on earth as God intended. You are called to that. You say, well, but I, I'm not much, I'm just, I'm this, I'm this. Now listen, it doesn't matter. See, how little you have is what you do with what you have. Form a passionate relationship with Christ. Let's get fire in our heart for Him. Hunger and desire for Him. A strong prayer life. Find where God called you to serve, what He called you to do, and do it joyfully and do it well. And then let God work in your heart to change you so the character of Christ starts to form by your daily decisions. I will love and not be selfish. I will forgive and not hold resentment. I will honor and not dishonor. I will lift people up and not put people down. Every time you make a that decision, you're walking into the destiny God has planned. He is looking, saying, oh, that's my child. I'm looking forward to the day when I can say, come up with me. Come into all the things I have prepared for you. Come on, let's stand together, shall we? Come on, let's give Jesus a clap. There's a day coming. It's coming day. Will you prepare for that day? Will you get all in your lap again? Will you get on fire? We need the fire of God to burn in us again. Jesus, we will shout it out. service without an opportunity if you're here today and your life is in pain or distress or trouble lack of peace and you you're not a Christian yet you haven't given your life to Jesus Christ and receive his forgiveness and peace and life don't go out of the service today without making that decision I want to give my life to Jesus Christ he loved me he gave his life on the cross so I could be free of guilt and shame and become joined to him and empowered by him and have a different life and future. What an offer. He calls us to repent, to turn away. I was wrong, I got it all wrong. I've been living my own life, my own way. It's a mess. Jesus, I turn to you and receive you as my savior. 
I would love, there's any person here today never received Jesus Christ, this is your chance to make that decision right now. Look, if you're in that place, why don't, I've been there. Man, I fought putting my hand up. That was foolish. It took too long, I just suffered more. And one day, I heard in my heart a quiet voice, the voice of God. I said, yes, I'll never make it without you. Come into my life, Jesus. Come into my marriage. Come into the family we'll have. And he did. My future changed. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, why don't you raise your hand right now and say, I want to receive Jesus. I want to receive Jesus. I want Jesus to come into my heart and life. I just got to give you that opportunity right now. Is anyone here? Anyone here? Just say, right now, Pastor, that's me. God bless. See a hand over there. Is anyone else? Anyone else? Anyone else? God bless. A hand down there. Why don't you make your way to the front and I'll come and pray for you. Anyone else? Anyone else? I sense there's someone else struggling right now inside. God loves you, wants to enter your life and change you. Would you let him? Why don't you raise your hand? Why don't you come? come? God bless you, sir. God bless you. See anyone else? We'll just flow into that song again. And then I'm going to get anyone else. I'm going to give you opportunity just to come to the front. God bless. Hey there. What's your name? Dan. Dan, that's a great name. Awesome. And who's this beautiful? Reese. Hello, you beautiful girl. Your daddy's come to give his life to Jesus. That's awesome for you. That's awesome for you. Is anyone else? Just make your way to the front right now. Just come. Just come. Anyone else want to come? God bless. Come on, God bless you. God bless you. What's your name? Deborah, that's a beautiful Bible name. She was a wonderful world, a leader of Israel. Anyone else? Anyone else like to make that decision just to come to Jesus? Come on, don't hold us. Let's just do it now. Come, make that decision to come. If you brought someone that doesn't know Jesus, ask them to come up with you. Just come, come. Amen. Okay, I want you just to close your eyes. And church, I want you to help me with this. We're just going to pray a prayer to receive Jesus Christ. And i just like you all to just close your eyes, listen to the prayer, and then pray it after me. Make it your prayer from your heart, inviting Jesus to come in. You ready now? Let's all pray together. Father in heaven, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me and cleanse me from all my sins. Jesus, I receive you as my Savior. I ask you to come into my heart and life and change me. Make me the person you want me to be. By faith today, I receive your Spirit into my heart. I receive your forgiveness. I am loved and accepted by you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Father, I thank you for each one here. Father, I thank you. You know, God knows your story. There's, whole, there's things you've never shared with anyone that happened when you were growing up that caused immense pain and frustration. And see, so you've struggled in a lot of ways. Struggle with life, struggle with relationships. Constantly thinking you're not good enough. 
Jesus wants you to know he loves you deeply. He believes in you. He's going to heal the wounds of your past and cause you to become the man he called you to be, the father he called you to be. There's a generation waiting for you to step up and shape them into their cause. Father, I just thank you for my brother in the family of God. Welcome to God's family. Touch him, Lord, right now. Lord, touch, touch, touch him right now. I thank you for Kelly. You know, one of the things Jesus suffered was rejection. It's a terribly painful experience to be rejected and abandoned. And Jesus wants you to know he understands what you have suffered and gone through. He cares about you and loves you. He has a wonderful purpose that's going to begin to unfold in your life. From today, you're going to start to find peace that you've never had before. Lord, touch her today. Pour your spirit upon her right now. In Jesus' name. Father, I thank you for Deborah. Thank you for Deborah. I thank you, Lord, for the passion she has for life. Her enthusiasm for everything. Count me in. That's the kind of person I see you are. I want to be part of it. Don't want to miss out on anything. But right down inside, in spite of the fact you've tried all kinds of things and done all kinds of things, there has been a deep emptiness. And Jesus said, I want to fill that with my love. I want you to know you're valued without doing anything. And that there's a call on your life towards younger people to help them, encourage them, speak into their lives and destiny. That call came from God. Touch your Lord right now. Why don't we give them all a clap now? Just welcome. Let's give them a clap as we welcome people into the family of God. That's what we're here for.